0: Today on Cross Defense, we're studying the singular, yes, singular source of division within Christendom. To do so, we turn to Christian Dogmatics by Francis Pieper and the Church and the Office Holy Ministry by CFW Walther. What's with all the division today? And are we wrong to mark it so as to avoid it? Let's find out. It's time for another hour of Cross Defense. I'm your host, the Reverend Tyrell Bramwell, pastor of St. Mark Lutheran Church in Ferndale, California. And today on the show, we are talking about the cause of divisions within visible Christendom. If in today's show you are sparked by a thought, something that equips your mind, excites your imagination, or comforts your soul, and you'd like to share that with me, you can certainly do that by going to st. Mark's Ferndale slash contact. I should say dot com slash contact. That's st. Mark's Ferndale dot com slash contact. S-T-M-A-R-K-S, com slash contact. And that's how you can get a hold of me most directly, and we can uh, further the conversation if something strikes your fancy. We're bringing this subject up today, to cause the divisions within the visible Christendom, within the visible church, because I myself have been doing some study on this to make sure I'm not acting inappropriately. And this is how pastors operate, or they should be operating. We don't do anything quickly, rashly, and without thought and prayer. When we act, we act decisively, yes. We act intentionally, yes. We act prayerfully, and we act according to God's word, doing everything we can to live peaceably with all, so that as much as it pertains to us, as much as we can control our actions, we are aiming and striving for peace and unity within God's church. This is important. We do not want to be dividers. We do not want to be divisive. What we want to be is uniters. What we want to be is united in Christ through God's word. And as you're going to hear today, what we're going to see as we look at some material, and I'll tell you what that is in just a second, what we're going to see is that there is one thing, one thing only that unites the Christian church, Christendom, and that is God's word. No other form of unity exists. There can be nothing else that unites us. If a church body, if a congregation, if a denomination breaks with God's word, it breaks with his church. And therefore, those who point it out are not the source of division, though it may look like it. It is the one, it is the the group, it is the denomination, the congregation, the pastor, whomever, the Christian, it's they who are breaking from what God's Word says that are the source of division. It is not the person identifying it, recognizing it, and then acting accordingly. That's important to note, because it can seem in our twisted, upside-down world that those who identify the problem are the source of the problem. This is generally how things are dealt with. If you say something is wrong, today in our world, you're considered to be the the source of that wrong. Well, why'd you point it out? We were all just fine with our heads in the sand. As soon as you identified it, now we have to deal with it. Shame on you. Everything was fine until you brought it to our attention. This is how we react today. When we point it out, when we address it with God's word, we often get backlash because we're talking about it out loud. There is something wrong with that, isn't there? Okay, so to make sure we know how to best handle ourselves as God's faithful servants, be you a pastor or layman, that is what you are, we want to go to God's Word and understand what it says about how we are to operate. Now, within the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, we have a wonderful history and heritage of doing just that. And so I'm going to not rely on Pastor Bramwell to... Figure out which verses to go to in the Bible, but I'm going to actually lean on men who are of much sharper mind than I. We're going to start with uh, well, let's see. Let's start with Walther. We're familiar with him on the show, and then we're also going to go to Peeper. We're familiar with him on the show as well. So uh, let me bring in the first source material, and then um, we'll get. We're going to most of today's show will be actually in Peeper's Dogmatics, and we're going to be looking at in Volume One at the cause of divisions within visible Christendom. But before we do that, just to kind of lay lay out the foundation and hear what the first president of the LCMS had to say on the topic of pure doctrine and the the Word of God and how that is what unites us, let's look at what he says. So I'm working out of The Church and the Office of the Ministry is the name of the volume. It's by C.F.W. Walther, and it's edited by current president of the LCMS, Matthew C. Harrison. This is a study edition. And we're on thesis eight. This is what Walther wrote. Although God gathers for himself a holy church of elect at a place where his word is not taught in its complete purity, so he's acknowledging that there can be room for error and yet there are still faithful Christians there. So, So if... We, we strive for doctrinal purity. Yes, always, and that's what Lutherans uh, are known for. That's what the Missouri Synod is known for. We usually get labeled with, uh, you know, you're a wet blanket, you're a stick in the mud, oh, you're not ecumenical, you're not getting along with all the other churches in the world. Uh, well, no, we're striving for doctrinal purity. So keep that in mind. So uh, although God gathers for himself a holy church of elect at a place where his word is not taught in his complete purity, and the sacraments are not administered altogether according to the institution of Jesus Christ— If only God's word and the sacraments are not denied entirely, but both essentially remain. So if there's part of what God has instructed, if part of it is there, part of the means of grace are there, even if they have been tarnished and and, uh, somewhat twisted and, and distorted, if they're not entirely gone, nevertheless, every believer is bound at the peril of losing his salvation To flee all false teachers, avoid all heterodox congregation or sects, and confess and adhere to orthodox congregations and their orthodox preachers, wherever such may be found. So we got two things that pop up in this thesis. One, there is the reality that the church can exist in a place where both the word and the sacraments are not preached in their purity. The existence of the church can exist there. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in just a second before we get out of Walther here. But what he says is, even though even though you can find a church there, that God's church is in a place that has distorted and is not faithfully preaching the word and is not faithfully administering the sacrament, you should flee from that. Don't get content with that. Don't be like, well, they get most of it, right? It's like 80% accurate. So, uh, you know, I'm just going to keep going here. I I like the people. I'm comfortable here. My my parents went here. It's just, it's home. I I recognize that it's not fully 100% accurate, but, you know, it's mostly, mostly it's good. No, Walther says, no. Nevertheless, every believer is bound. At the peril of losing his salvation, to flee all false teachers, avoid all heterodox congregations or sects, and confess and adhere to orthodox congregations and their orthodox preachers, wherever such may be found. So if there is a faithful church, a church that is faithfully administering the sacraments and faithfully preaching the word. If that congregation exists and you can get there, you are to flee from your 80% accurate church and get to one that is doing it completely according to orthodox teaching. Don't rely on this fact that well, you know God's grace is is there and so he's going to it's going to be okay. I can stay here where I'm comfortable. No. The peril of losing your salvation, of being that frog in the slow boiling water that doesn't quite realize when his goose is cooked. No, that's the wrong phrase. When he's cooked, when he doesn't quite understand what's at jeopardy, you could lose your salvation by being numbed, your conscience numbed to the reality of the poison you're being fed, to the infection in your body, your spiritual Reality. So don't do that. Don't do that. Okay. So we got a few other things I want to jump to here from Walther before we go over to Pieper for the rest of the show. He points out with every one of these theses, he, he points out from God's word why he says it, and then he points out from uh, the church, the, the confessors of the Lutheran Reformation, and then the church fathers from the ancient church fathers. Um, he points out how what they say on the matter as well. So here's one. Here's a quote from the Apology of the Augsburg Confession which Lutherans are familiar with or should be. The wolves and false teachers, though they are in the church and do great harm, yet they are not the church and the kingdom of Christ. So, of course, where are are you going to find the wolves if they're attacking the church? They're going to be in the church. They're not the church, but they're going to be in the church. Here our church confesses that the heretics are not outside the church, but that they sow their pernicious seed within the church, so that therefore also in the multitude that the heretics gather around themselves, the true church is hidden. So you're going to find heretics in the church trying to corrupt the church. You're also going to find heretics gathering the church to them, drawing them to them. And it's going to be hard to find the church there, but there is a chance. There is the possibility. There We are open to the reality that someone of a faithful disposition can be in a congregation fed by heretics. Luther says, we must confess that the fanatics have scripture and God's word in other articles, and whoever hears it of them and believes it will be saved, though they are unholy heretics and blasphemers of Christ. Again, what I'm making a point of here in the first segment of the show is we can have faith found in the hearts of believers, where heretics are the preachers. Why am I starting with this point? Why do I, a faithful Orthodox pastor, want to say a Christian can be found among the ungodly and the distorters of God's Word? Why would I start there? Well, because the accusation often made is that Missouri, faithful Christianity, that we think we're the only ones who are going to heaven. That's not what we're talking about. From Walther, from Luther, from the, Augsburg, the Apology to the Augsburg Confession, all through our documentation, from scripture, we are clear that Christians can be found in heterodox churches, in heretical churches. We are never saying we're gonna be the only ones in heaven. Now hold on to that, so that when we get over to Peeper, you'll hear it very clearly as he as he articulates it. I can't even find my tongue, as he articulates it. And let's just identify that and get it out of the way for a minute. Get it off the table because we're recognizing there will be people who, in this life, claim to be Baptist or Methodist, Presbyterian, whatever. They're gonna be they're gonna be in heaven too. That doesn't mean, as Walther points out that you're just like, cool, that just means I'm going to go to any one of these Christian churches because, you know, it doesn't matter. It does matter. The Christian is to flee anywhere where he is receiving less than the truth. When you identify something is not accurate, you are to flee from that false teacher. Now, this should also be said, when you hear something that is not quite, doesn't quite sound right, and you've done your due diligence, and you're, you're being like a Berean, and you're studying Scripture, trying to see if, did that pastor say what I think he said? Is that accurate with scripture, what Scripture says? You know, part of that is engaging the pastor. Hey, pastor, I think you might have missed the mark today. What was going on there? See if he intended to say that. As a sinner, I can slip up. I can say the wrong thing. I can say something that I intended to sound one way, but the delivery of it came out another. So it's not a quick, hey, you're a false teacher. I'm out of here. It's an exploration. What did you say? What is the church that you belong to? What does its doctrine confess? What's its public confession state? These sorts of things. If it is contrary, noticeably contrary to God's word, it's time to get out of there. If the pastor, when you ask him what he's teaching, admits to teaching something that is contrary to scripture, it's time to get out of there. Case in point. The murder of babies, the endorsement of homosexual lifestyle, transgenderism, and the mutilation of children, chemically and surgically, racism—all these social issues—but also things like uh, Jesus not being true God, not or not being true man, the God not being a Trinity, God not being He as we describe, as is described in Scripture, but you know, She the acceptance of other religions as ways to heaven there's, a, there's i mean you've heard these things you know these things perhaps i hope you're you're aware of many and, and and myriad false teachings if the pastor is aware of what he's teaching and continues to do it if he's not willing to repent of his false teaching it's time for you the christian to block him out of your ears do not give him The microphone so to speak do not allow him to influence your conscience your heart or that of your family it's time to get to somewhere that's faithful we take this seriously because our salvation is on the line the peril of losing salvation this is no small thing the analogy that's often used is it may seem like a small little detail you get a little splinter And at first, it doesn't seem like a big deal, but you do not treat the splinter, you leave it there, and all of a sudden you have an infection. And if you do not treat that infection, it can become gangrenous. And if the gangrene is not addressed soon enough, it can take the entire member of your body. And if not addressed before it spreads to the next member, from the finger to the hand, from the hand to the arm, eventually it can get to your heart. How much of your body do you want to lose? I would much rather pluck out the splinter and, and endure the discomfort of having to deal with something as it is just right there in the tip of my finger, a problem that I don't like to have to deal with, rather than ignore it and let it corrupt my entire arm, lose my arm, or worse yet, ignore it and let the infection get to my heart and take my life. See, this is why Faithful Orthodox pastors take doctrine so seriously. This is why doctrine is not a bad word, as more progressive churches would have us believe. Doctrinal purity is important, just like medical purity is important. Do you want a doctor who doesn't take medicine seriously? He's like, oh, well, yeah, this, this might work. This might not. This is kind of good for you. I can see how it might not really address the problem, but, you know, eh, I'm trying We're trying. We're bringing people in by trying. No. Doctrinal purity. Okay, real quick, before we go to our first break, let's uh, hear something else from... Who do we want to hear from? This one is from Hieronymus Cromer, a Lutheran confessor. It may happen that the ears of the hearers may take from what is presented to them something that is better and more consonant with the truth than was intended by the teachers. That's what I'm saying, right? And now this is an allusion to, and, and this is found all through Walther's works here, as noted by the editor, um, Matthew Harrison. This is coming from Hillary, that church father. Hillary says this, The ears of the people are holier than the hearts of the priests, Hence, Christ's people will not perish under the priests of the Antichrist, since they believe that the priests mean what they hear of them. The people thus hear from them that Christ is God, so they believe that it is as they say. They are told of the Son of God, so they believe that God who became incarnate is and remains true God. They hear about Christ, that he was before time, so they believe that this before time means forever. See, uh, even, even in the Roman Catholic Church, where the Pope is the Antichrist, as we've addressed on the show before, as the Lutheran Confessions confessed to, to believe, uh, even there you find Christians. Roman Catholics aren't outside of the church. That is the church. That's why the Antichrist is sitting where he's sitting. That is part of the church. So you're going to find faithful believers there who are actually believing Orthodox Christianity. I don't know how many people have come into my office and and we go through catechism classes and adults and they're they're like, whoa, that's what i always believe." Well, yes, it is. Because your ears are holier than the priest's mouths, than the false teacher's mouths. He says one thing, you're hearing the truth by the grace of God. That's the power of the Holy Spirit, guarding and protecting your heart. And I am glad you fled from there and you found your way here to the truth. Okay, we're gonna take a break. And when we get back, we'll hear from Augustine, and then we'll move over to Peeper. So thanks for listening to Cross the Fence. we got some more coming at you in just a minute. Each weekday on The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah, we share and discuss stories of living boldly Lutheran. Including missionary updates, mercy work, events and topics applicable to your daily vocations, and maybe some fresh dark roast. The Coffee Hour weekdays at 9 a.m. on KFUO, underwritten by Concordia University, Wisconsin. Writing to the Donatists, Augustine said this, Do not flatter yourselves, because we do not reject your baptism. It is not your baptism, but that of the Catholic Church, small c, universal church, the one Christian church that we possess. Therefore, when you separated yourselves from the church, you took it along, not for your salvation, but for your harm. For the sacred vessels of the Lord remained holy even among the heathen, For which reason the king of Babylon, who dared desecrate them, was punished by the anger of God? Nor did the Ark of the Covenant lose its power of holiness, even when it was captured by its enemies, 1 Samuel 5. If then those sacred vessels in no way lost the characteristic of holiness when they were with the heathen and no longer with their proper owners, the Israelites, how much more do the Christian sacraments not lose their holiness when they pass over to the heretics in such a way that they remain also with us? As we talked about in the last segment of the show, you can find faithful believers in churches, that are not faithful. You can find Orthodox believers, those who believe in Orthodox Christianity, the Orthodox teachings of the Bible, in churches that are heterodox and heretical. It is not because the teachers are doing anything right, but because ours is a gracious God who looks after those, even being mauled to pieces by the wolves in sheep's clothing. One of the virtues, one of the blessings of, of uh, the system here is that the wolves have to dress up in sheep's clothing, and when they do so, they have to, to keep up appearances, preach the truth from time to time. And so Christians hear it and believe it as God intended, the sacraments as well, as Augustine just pointed out. Okay, so now let's turn to Peeper's Dogmatics. Let's take a look at this, and and he's going to take us into some more of the Bible. We're going to get that open for you before the show is over, so hold on to that as well. Grab your Bible. You can also pick up Christian Dogmatics from uh, Concordia Publishing House, of course. This is volume one under um, Nature and Character of Theology, and he just got done talking about how there are only two religions— In the entire world the religions of the law the religions of the the religion excuse me singular of the gospel and and he's he notes here that the sources of these two existing religions are of man the law and of god being the gospel so now he he brings us to divisions within christendom this is what he has to say it is a strange thing that diversities and divisions should appear within Christendom. For the Christian church has only one principle of cognition. That's one process of acquiring knowledge, the saving knowledge, right? One principle of cognition, namely the word of Christ, given by Christ to the church through his apostles and prophets. Only one source of the saving knowledge, Therefore, only one doctrine, one faith. Let's pause right there with this opening. Because today, and I've been accused of this as uh, I was confronted by an ELCA Lutheran who was irate that I was trying to bring the gospel to members of the LGBTQ community, and she threw out to me that if I was going to go to the Apostle Paul— when I opened up the Bible to make my case that, that that was not legitimate because Paul was not writing God's Word. And this is a problem with the ELCA understanding of Scripture. They see that it, the Bible contains God's Word instead of that the Bible is God's Word. And many other progressive churches have this problem. And so then they start to pull apart what is Scripture, what is holy writ and what is not. What did just say. The Christian church has only one principle of cognition, the word of Christ given by Christ to the church through his apostles and prophets. So if those who deny scripture, if they can get away with taking Paul out of the equation, they get rid of most of the New Testament. If they can get away with taking certain prophets out of the equation, they can get rid of much of the Old Testament. And guess what verses they're getting rid of? Those that call people to repentance, those who want to deliver Christ to those who are hurting and sick with their sins, and they're leaving people right where they are, rather than converting them to the truth through repentance. Okay, Peter continues, Moreover, this word of Christ rejects and condemns in the strongest terms the causes of divisions, namely, the religion of works. And it takes us to Galatians 2.16, which says, "...by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified." He also cites Galatians 3.10, "...as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse." So if the law, what we're doing, is still what's important, if that's what is defining our salvation, we are still cursed people, no longer blessed by the gospel. Pieper continues, And on the other hand, teaches most clearly that remission of sins is obtained without the works of the law by faith in Christ, whose redemptive work has fully and completely reconciled God with the world and he cites Romans 3:28 A man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law and again Galatians 2:16 knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law but by the faith of Jesus Christ Furthermore all Christians experience that faith in the reconciliation accomplished by Christ brings peace to the conscience therefore being justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ Romans 5.1, we are complete in him, Christ, Colossians 2.10. Christians, therefore, have no need to look about for other means of reconciliation. And what what would that be today? Well, I'd like to posit for your consideration The other means of reconciliation today in America and in the, the prevailing world, liberal leftist culture that we live in and we're experiencing, other means of reconciliation fall under that now popular category of social justice warrior. Why is it that the world is pushing that we do so much social justice? Well, as I was recently accused of not really doing anything for my neighbor, just preaching not really doing anything. That When you look at my website, the church's website, I mean, you cannot find anything that shows that we're doing uh, food pantries or you know houses for the homeless or any of these sorts of social justice issues. Well, yes, you can't find them on our website because we don't advertise them. We don't promote them. We do them genuinely. We don't do them to earn points with man or with God, but because the gospel motivates us to love our neighbor. What you do find on a Christian's website, on a church website, is a confession of faith, a proclamation, at least one that's open and honest. You find a declaration of what we believe and what you will expect when you come. You'll find teaching from the pastor. You'll find activities and opportunities to get involved. You won't find self-righteous patting on the back. You won't find social justice accolades earning us points not in true Christendom. And so, yes, I would say that's a big part of the law today as it's draped in progressive Christian garb. Be a social justice warrior. Do the work. Isn't that the phrase the left loves to use so much? We got to put in the work. Yeah, uh, Christ already put in all the work for me. Thanks. I'm going to listen to what he says. And I'm not going to do work. I'm just going to love my neighbor, however they may look, and however that may look. All right. Finally, Scripture expressly prohibits factions within the church, Peter says, that there be no divisions among you. 1 Corinthians 10. Oh, this is very important. 1 Corinthians 1.10, that there be no divisions among you. Paul, who is one of those who gets thrown out so quickly, says that we shouldn't be divided, thrown out by Those who do not lean on scripture, I should say. Not by you. Not by me. Not by those of us who who want to submit our human reason to God's word. No divisions among you. In view of this, one would certainly expect to find the Christian church to be free from divisions and factions, Pieper says. History, however, presents an entirely different picture. Yes, it does. I, I read a website one time. I was doing a little research for a little a nugget for a sermon, something like 40,000 different official Christian churches today across the world. And of course, that includes things like, you know, the Church of the Jedi or whatever, but but 40 registered, identifiable, official, 40,000 churches. That's crazy. Many divisions. And he says here, Peeper, already in the days of the apostles, the church was troubled with division. So even in the generation that Christ taught among the apostles, there was already divisions, even though 1 Corinthians 1 10, there's not supposed to be divisions among you. Peter asks then, what then causes the division in the church? They are not the result of climatic influences, as some say, nor of racial differences, as others say. They are due solely to the fact that men arose within the church and gained a following who did not continue in the word of Christ's apostles and prophets, but proclaimed their own word, and as a natural consequence, impaired or even wiped out the differentia specifica of the Christian religion. Justification by faith, without the deeds of the law. So they come into the church, they're they start by preaching the truth, and then they they wipe out and they, they downplay that thing which makes the Christian religion, the Christian religion, justification justification by faith. And they turn it into a religion of the law, justification by works. And so even though they now bear the name of Christ, they're teaching the other religion, the religion of the law, and therefore dividing visibly as it looks on the outside for the onlooker, dividing the church. Division in the apostolic church arose because men refused to recognize the word of the apostles as the word of God and offered the church in place of the word of God their own human notions. This is exactly, exactly as you and I both know what's going on with the ELCA. They have thrown out And I bring them up. I could bring up many others, but I bring them up because they bear the name Lutheran and we engage with them on a regular basis. I bring them up because here in my town, in my county, we have an LCMS church that is in fellowship, so so to speak, quote unquote, scare quotes, fellowship with the ELCA, share the same roof, joint pastors, an LCMS and an ELCA pastor doing joint ministry. Yes. But how can that be? Because the ELCA is open about not recognizing the Word of the Apostles as the Word of God. They recognize that much of Scripture is Paul's opinion. That it contains the Word of God, but that it is not actually the Word of God. And so they have divided themselves from the truth. And not just here locally for me, but across the country, throughout the world. And not just the ELCA, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, but... All churches who break away from what Scripture says, who do not see the writings of the prophets and the apostles as God's word, as the rest of the church does. See, Peter says it's clearly stated by Paul in Romans 16:17, "Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them." See, this is what I had to study for this this week. How are we to engage with those who are dividing the church? How are we to make sure we're not the ones dividing the church? When we call out and speak to the errors in front of us, how do we make sure we're not being the dividers, the source of division? Well, Paul says right here in Romans 16, 17, it is not part of the division to mark those who are dividing the church, who are causing the divisions, who are causing the offenses to engage that, to mark them so that you can avoid them. And so as a pastor, those whom I have been called to oversee can avoid them is not part of the division. The world might say, well, but you're perpetuating the division. No, no, I'm stopping the division. Anyone who recognizes something is contrary to scripture, marks it and avoids it is not dividing, but maintaining unity, standing where the truth still is. And with that, praying for those who have left where the truth is to come back to it. In the church at Corinth, Peter paper continues, men engaged in the same business. They regarded themselves as prophets, quote-unquote, and spiritual, quote-unquote. But in spite of this, Rather, for this very reason, they denied the divine authority of the word of the apostles and thus compelled Paul to utter the strong words. If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I, Paul, write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. 1 Corinthians fourteen thirty-seven. I love that. I love that given the fact that so many progressive church will, churches want to take Paul out of the equation. He says right here, here's the, here's the litmus test. If you reject Paul... You reject scripture. You reject God. If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write, Paul writes, unto you are the commandments of the Lord. There it is. At the same time, these men made it their business to supplant the doctrine of salvation by grace with the religion of works. That is evident from the words in which Paul expresses his amazement over the apostasy of the Galatians. I marvel, he says, this is Galatians, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, Galatians 1.6. And from this sharp polemics, his sharp polemics against the advocates of the gospel of works, he says, though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you, let him be accursed. One eight. See, that sounds very divisive, doesn't it? Oh, the world says that's divisive. Paul's saying someone should be cursed if he's preaching another gospel. Can't we just all get along? No. No, because you're distorting God's word. You're misrepresenting our Lord. Someone who comes in the name of Christ and teaches something other than the gospel, who teaches a law, social justice warriorism, someone who teaches all these false teachings of the religion of the law, he is distorting our God's name and his gracious, merciful, loving behavior toward us, removing the glory that belongs solely to God and giving it to man, if such a thing could happen. And so it is. Exact the, the exact opposite of division, to say, no, not happening. That's not happening here. Piper continues, the attempt to get rid of the word of the apostles and of the central teaching of Christianity, the doctrine of salvation by grace, has been and still is the sole cause of the divisions in the Christian church. Let's stop right there, take a break. I will collect myself, and we will return after this break for the last segment of today's episode of Cross Defense. The word of Christ comes forth from his mouth as a sharp, two-edged sword. By that word, he puts our sin to death, and he raises us to new life in him. Join me, Pastor Timothy Apple, on Sharper Iron every weekday morning at 8 a.m., here on KFUO, as guest pastors from around the world lead us into the Word of God to help us sharpen our faith in Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. At the present time, Pieper continues, and that's about 100 years ago, the dissensions and divisions outside and within the visible church are due to the brazen denial of Of the divine authority of Scripture on the part of most of the leading theologians. There it is, my friends. What's the cause of division? Well, we got these modern theologians, and now for you and I, these postmodern theologians who think they know what they're saying, who are so academic and enlightened that they're going to deny the divine authority of Scripture, and then they're going to teach others to do the same. That's the source of the division in the church today. Pieper. Denying that the Holy Scripture is God's own infallible word, these men naturally discard Scripture as the sole source and norm of the Christian doctrine, and thus they thereby do away with the principle of unity in the Christian church. What's the principle of unity? What's what's the, the principle cognition? What's the one thing that unites us? God's word. If you break away from God's word being the divine authority, you break up the church. The unity of the church is a unity in the truth, Pieper says, but only those know the truth who continue in the word of Christ. And he references John 8, 31 to 32, which reads, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And as Paul, Christ's apostle, assures us, Pieper says, He who does not consent to the wholesome words of our Lord Jesus Christ is proud, knowing nothing, 1 Timothy 6, 3 and following. But our modern, postmodern theologians, the so-called positive theologians, no less than the liberals, refuse to accept scripture as the principle of knowledge, the source and norm of doctrine, substituting for it the experience. Concerning this theological method there is great unanimity but it cannot produce unity in the christian church he says a guy by the name of Steffen declares that no one bases his dogmatics on the norma normans that is the bible as was the fashion among the old protestants but there the unanimity ends There, meaning in the rejection of the bible their unanimity ends in the application of these principles, the same writer tells us, Nietzsche Steffen, there are uncounted divergencies, these divergencies being due to the differences in the religious individualities of the dogmaticians or in the degree of their scientific consistency. So because they reject the Bible, all that they can have to, that's all that, that unites them. Other than that, it's about personalities. It's about teachings. It's about their their own understanding and what they convey to their hearers. And this is exactly what we have going on. We have all these different churches, all these different personalities. We have people basically following Paul or Apollos. And we know that's not what's supposed to happen. We're following Christ. Were you baptized into Paul? No. Were you baptized into Peter? No. You were baptized into Christ. And that's what's going on right now in our Christian world today quote-unquote christian world it's not happening in the actual church but it is happening throughout christendom as is labeled as such personalities people are following personalities and teachers teachings and that is wrong back to peeper but at one point the moderns meet again as with great unanimity They have discarded Holy Scripture as the only source and standard of the Christian doctrine. So, with great unanimity, they repudiate the Scripture doctrine of the satisfactio vicario, the vicarious satisfaction of Christ. And so, necessarily also the Scripture doctrine of justification by faith. So they therefore become a religion of the law because they reject Scripture. They they reject the satisfaction of Christ made for you on the cross. They reject the very comfort that this show exists to bring to you. Christ crucified for the forgiveness of your sins because they reject scripture. They reject Christ and the fact that you've been justified apart from your works without the deeds of the law, not according to your own works, but according to faith in Christ. Pieper continues, the question arises here whether the Christian faith can exist side by side with the refusal to accept scripture as the word of God and with the denial of the satisfactio vicaria. The answer is no. No. Not if men reduce their teaching to practice. If men refuse to believe Christ and his apostles when they declare that scripture is the inviolable word of God, John 10.35, the scripture cannot be broken. In 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, 1 Peter 1.10-12. 1, Will they not also, to remain consistent, refuse to believe what Christ and his apostles teach concerning the saviorship of Christ, John 3.16, for the whole world? Matthew 20, 28, give his life a ransom for many. John 1, 29, 1 John 1, 9, Romans 3, 28, etc., etc., etc. If they reject Christ and his apostles, they reject all of the gospel. It can happen, however, Pieper says, and it has happened, that a person who, in theory, has denied the inspiration of Scripture and the vicarious satisfaction of Christ does, by faith, except the remission of his sins in the hour of affliction and in the agony of death, basing his faith on the word of scripture and on the vicarious atonement of Christ. But thereby, ha ha, thereby, he relinquishes and disavows his former sectarian belief by which he had separated himself from the church and in that moment, returns to the one faith of the Christian church, which continues in the words of Christ and knows of no other foundation for the assurance of God's grace than the redemption wrought by Christ Jesus. See, uh ah, if they're going to remain consistent, they will never turn back to Christ. But the moment they do, they disavow their sectarian beliefs. They disavow the rejection of the gospel. They disavow the rejection of Paul as his apostle, or any of the prophets, or any of that, and they come to Christ, they fall to the cross, and they say, I am sorry, I forgive you, I need your forgiveness, help me through this time of death, help me through this time of agony. And in that very act, their heart is once again in line with the entire Orthodox Church. This is how Christians can be living in a church where they're being fed falsehood, and yet believe the truth. This is how even those who teach the the falsehoods, the wolves, can in their hour of need be confessing Christians. It's amazing how gracious our God is. It does not say then to stay under false teachers, it doesn't say to continue to be a false teacher, but it does say that God has a way of bringing people back to Him. The hearer's ears are holier than the priest's lips and the priest's hearts will accept truth, when it comes down to it. That is the prayer, anyway. That is the prayer. There is but one cause of the divisions within the visible church, Pieper says. The refusal to abide by scripture as the only source and standard of Christian doctrine, and in consequence of this, substitution, in one form or another, of the doctrine of works for the christian doctrine of salvation by grace it's always the law that comes back in and distorts the christianity of the gospel comes in wearing sheep's clothing but it is law it is works based at this point we must answer the question whether the lutheran church should be numbered with the divisions, the factions, and the sects. There are those who insist that the Lutheran Church is a sect like all the others. The discussion of this matter will have no point until we are agreed on the meaning of the terms, Pieper says. What are those terms we need to agree on? Well, the term Lutheran Church and the term sect. By Lutheran Church, we do not mean all church bodies that call themselves Lutheran but only those that actually teach and confess the Lutheran doctrine as it is taught and confessed in the confessions of the Lutheran Church. So every ELCA church is not part of the Lutheran Church, though they retain the name and do a horrible disservice to all of us who are still confessing Scripture as it has been given to us and stand on the Lutheran confessions that hold to Scripture as it has been handed down by the apostles. And then as by sects, We mean church bodies which have established themselves as separate organizations on the basis of unscriptural doctrines. The terms being thus understood, the Lutheran Church is certainly not a sect, since it does not stand for doctrines of its own, but simply confesses and teaches that which, according to God's will and order, all Christians should confess and teach." This is the ecumenical character of the Church of the Reformation. On the one hand, the Lutheran Church does not set itself up as the Una Sancta, but acknowledges that there are children of God also in those denominations in which, besides the doctrines of men, enough gospel is still proclaimed to produce faith in Christ as the only Redeemer. On the other hand, the Lutheran Church claims to be the Church of the pure doctrine, i.e., it claims that its doctrine agrees in all points with Holy Scripture and should, according to God's will, be believed and accepted by all. I was asked this this week. Do you, as an LCMS pastor, you really think that you guys are the, the pure church, the true church? And when I wholeheartedly said yes, this ELCA pastor was taken aback. The, the nerve, the nerve of such a thought to actually be a pastor who thinks he's teaching truth. <laughs> To be a pastor in a church body that doesn't shy away from saying this is pure doctrine, straight from Scripture. Well, why can we say that, friends? Why can we say that? Well, because we take every single one of our doctrines back to Scripture to make sure it is not our doctrine, but Christ's doctrine, Scripture's doctrine. If anything the the true Lutheran Church teaches is contrary to Scripture, it's out the window. We are open to that. We don't hold on to man-made doctrines. It's not about man-made tradition. It's about Christ's Word. If it cannot be established by the doctrine of the Bible the teaching of the Bible, we don't want none of it. That's the truth. And therefore we can say with Peter right here that the Lutheran church claims to be the church of the pure doctrine. It claims that its doctrine agrees in all points with Holy Scripture and should according to God's will be believed and accepted by all. Fly that flag. Be a bold Lutheran. You have the truth. That is amazing. Pieper continues, the divisions and factions in the Christian church are the result of a departure from Scripture's doctrine. It is only natural to seek the underlying causes of this abnormal condition. Modern theologians of all shades not only assume a number of noble motives, such as the quest for truth, the scientific spirit, for the deviation from the Scripture doctrine and the incident formation of sects, different denominations, but even assert that these divergent trends have been designed by God and are beneficial to the church. You ever heard that? You ever heard someone say how, how they just you know, appreciate that someone's going to church? I'm just glad that they're going to church. You know, or, or more so, I'm glad we have the different churches because some people need to hear the gospel this way and some people, you know, it'll speak to them more that way. We have the formal churches and the casual churches and you know, the contemporary churches and the liturgical churches and all this kind of stuff. You ever heard that? That is nonsense, and that's exactly what people are saying. The modern theologians, now the postmodern theologians say, these divergent trends are pr- being presented as designed by God to be d- beneficial to the church. They're not beneficial to the church. That's division. Division based on rejecting Holy Scripture. Scripture informs us about everything we do. Orthodoxy is what, sh- what uh, shapes our orthopraxy. Doctrine and practice go together. Lex credendi, lex arandi. As we believe, so we pray, so we worship. The scripture states, Pieper says, the very opposite, and states it most emphatically, that the motives actuating those responsible for this abnormal phenomenon in Christendom are carnal, not noble. The divergent trends that are being presented to us, and they have been for a generation now, for a hundred years now, that they're beneficial, the diversity of it all is good for us, is hogwash and not biblical. Scripture often and earnestly warns against departing from the doctrine of the apostles, which is Christ's own doctrine, Romans 16:17. We're back to this again. Mark them which cause divisions and avoid them. So it spares no words in condemning the motives behind this sorry business of different trends and different fads in the church that speak to different people and that it's all good and God-pleasing. No. Those who depart from the teaching of Christ and the apostles are actuated by self-interest. Romans 16, 18. They that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, as it shows itself in self-conceit. First Timothy 6, 3 and following. He is proud puffed up. Greed for honor, John 5.44. Refusal to bear the cross, Galatians 6.12. Envy, Matthew 27.18. My friends, the divisions in the church are not good. But those who mark them so as to avoid them, those who identify the problem that church over there, or that Christian over there, that whatever over there is not holding to what Scripture says, is not being normed by the Bible, are not the source of the division. We who stand firmly on Scripture, as our forefathers have, all the way back to Jesus, we who are making the bold confession and fighting the good fight of faith, which involves marking those who have diverted from the truth of Scripture and are now presenting man-made teachings as God-pleasing, we are not the source of division. We are remaining faithful. I hope this has excited your imagination to understand that everything we do is based on Scripture. Everything. We take it all back to God's Word that we are not Lutheran because of Martin Luther, we are not Lutheran because of Walther or Pieper, though they articulated it today for us better than I could. We are Lutheran because Lutheran confession is biblical on all points of doctrine. And I hope, I truly hope this has comforted your soul, given you that encouragement in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That when we contend against the false teachers, it is because of the peril of losing salvation. This has been an hour of Cross Defense. It's been my pleasure to be with you and to hang with Reverend Pieper, Walther. Soldier on, my friends. Christ be with you. Cross Defense is a production of KFUO Radio. Find past episodes and support cross-defense at KFUO.org.